guys, welcome back to another podcast. Today I'm joined with Sean Hunter, who's the CIO of Oak North, as well as, as, well as an advisor to Anla and K- Kamayi. Uh, and prior to Oak North, uh, Sean has worked at multiple companies such as Goldman Sachs. Thank you, Sean, for coming on to this uh, podcast today. I'm, I'm doing massively appreciate your time. Um, You're most welcome. Can you please tell us a little bit about what Oak North does and what you actually do uh, at Oak North? Sure. So Oak North is a company that is set up to solve the problem of SME lending, so small and medium-sized business lending, globally. We do that in two ways. In the UK, we do it as a bank. So we have a fully licensed bank that takes retail deposits and lends to small and medium-sized businesses. And we've been very successful as a bank over the last five years. Um, and and uh, outside the UK, we're a fintech platform that works with banks to try and solve this same problem. And we do it in a unique way because we use essentially a mix of data, um, data science, technology, and credit expertise to try to do a more intelligent type of lending. And we call it borrowing as it should be. So we basically try and you know give a great experience to the borrower such that they you know, feel their bank is a real genuine partner to them and helping to grow their business. Perfect. Um, can, so how will the job of professionals uh, working at lenders or in banks, credit divisions change in the future due to the rise of technology such as Oak North's platform? Um, and you know, what, what can young professionals do to meet those future skills demand? Yeah, so I mean, it's really important to realize that um, I think as you're a young professional entering the career market, it's important to be flexible and develop your skills on a broad as possible basis uh, to help you to meet future challenges. For our platform specifically, um, we're not looking to replace the humans, we're looking to augment humans. So we think that the story of successful commercial lending is about a combination of person plus machine rather than the machine replacing the humans. So we think the machines will replace jobs that humans aren't actually that great at. So for example, you know, getting lots of different pieces of data, joining them together um, and, and that kind of thing. And the humans provide the insight and the sort of the, the extra intelligence on top of that. Um, specifically like in the field of, you know, if you're thinking about small microloans, um, it's easy to see how you build a model that completely automates that process. And, and that's how credit card lending works. And that's how things like OnDeck um, and Cabbage and things like that work for business lending. But for our space, which is you know from about a million dollars up to about $25 million across different markets, um, you, you're never gonna have a fully automated process. But what you, so you always want humans in the loop, but what you want is you want the humans to be as effective as possible. And that means using technology to automate the pieces that um, are kind of tedious, error-prone and so on when humans do it. Can you um, explain the concept of credit science um, and how Oak North uses machine learning in its credit analysis and monitoring? Yeah, so that builds on on what I just said in terms of how we do automation, essentially, because credit science is really at the heart of that. so at the foundation, so firstly, like when you're trying to decide a loan, there are certain credit questions you're trying to answer, which are, you know, what are the risks inherent in this loan? And are there ways in which I can mitigate those risks, protect myself? So 
as a lender, I still get to the ability to say yes to the borrower um, and provide them with the debt that they need to grow their business, but I'm protected against, you know, adverse circumstances. And I help the business not to, you know, like get too indebted or take on a loan that they can't afford and so on. And so that's, that's the sort of essence of the problem you're trying to solve. Um, now, what we do with what credit science is, is how we solve that problem. So at a very foundational level, you have data. So in order to answer your question, say you've got a restaurant or something like that, and you, you want to figure out whether or not you want to lend to this restaurant, at the heart of it is firstly, you need to get some data to figure out whether this is a good business and whether it's you know uh, got a sustained path to profitability and whether it can afford the loan and so on. And the borrower will give you some data. So they'll give you their financial data and so on. But it's very important to be able to connect to the world of external data. And so we, at foundational to everything we do is all kinds of data. We get very disparate sources of data, non-traditional data, data that was previously hard to get, inconvenient to use, et cetera. We bring that all together. The next sort of layer of this pyramid is, you know, okay, now once you've got the data, is like, how are you going to use the data to drive some kind of insight? And that's broadly speaking what people call data science. So that's taking data, making sense of it in some way, and trying to produce some insights. And then at the top of the pyramid is credit analysis. So ultimately what you're trying to do is decide these credit questions. And we use machine learning across this whole spectrum, but fundamentally, it works in different ways at the different layers of the pyramid. So at the very lowest layer, you can use machine learning to figure out intelligently how to join data sources together. So imagine you've got a company um, in company's house. That's their, that's their official name uh, for the business. But then you go and connect to you know, Yelp to go and get reviews for the business. Well, on Yelp, not everyone's going to call the company by their proper name. And so you need to be able to use some intelligence to join those sources together. And that's a very kind of basic answer, but it, it shows sort of foundational ML. Then at a higher level, you're using ML to, to help humans to make good decisions. And that means, you know, finding other businesses that are similar to my restaurant so I can compare them. That's a very interesting data science problem. Um, doing geospatial analysis, so, you know, what is in the local area? Is the local area where this restaurant is situated a good place to have a restaurant? And then finally, things like sentiment analysis. So taking those Yelp reviews, uh, you know, analyzing them quantitatively and looking for, are these reviews positive? Are they negative? Are they more positive or more negative than the peers that you just chose? That kind of question. So we use ML and data science all the way through the pyramid, but that's, that's what we call credit science. Um, so what are the main positives and negatives uh, FinTech has experienced from COVID-19? Yeah, so I mean, obviously this is, this pandemic is, a, is a, a defining moment, I think, for the economy and so on. And a lot of people are really struggling. And, um, you know, we think that as a business, this is an opportunity to really build lasting partnerships. Because if you help someone in a moment of crisis, obviously that stands you in very good stead for a long time. So as a bank, we're looking to help our borrowers as much as we can, because we know that our borrowers are good businesses that need, you know, 
credit and breathing space and so on to help weather the storm and reboot afterwards. So we think it's a positive, it's an opportunity to demonstrate your worth as a fintech and as a bank. Um, it's been a tremendous opportunity for us as a fintech to gain market share and move fast because banks in the US in particular, um, you know, banks are not accustomed to moving fast. And so our partners, you know, typically take a long time to decide anything, but this crisis has meant they've needed to move very, very rapidly to address the problem. And there's been various government programs such as the Paycheck Protection Program, uh, the Main Street Lending Program and so on in the US. And banks, the operational demands of those programs has been so crazy that banks have really needed to move fast and get partners in to help them. Um, so it's been a tremendous opportunity for us to, to kind of help out in those situations. And we're obviously as a FinTech, it's in our DNA to be nimble and move fast. And so banks want some of that because that's not their normal way of working. So they like that benefit from the partnership. I mean, from a negative perspective, obviously, you know, the situation is, is a very difficult situation across the economy and, and so on. Um, and I think a lot of fintechs, which had a previous model, which is all about sort of playing for scale and trying to accelerate growth and achieve exit rapidly. Um, I think that business model was kind of going out of fashion before the crisis hit, but I think the crisis has really um, showed some strain there. And I think a lot of fintechs, which were um, previously thinking, well, you know, no problem. If I burn through all my VC money in a few months time, I'll get another funding round or whatever. I think they're gonna really struggle because I think VCs are gonna um, choose their bets much more cautiously post-crisis because um, they'll, they, they won't wanna sit on the sidelines, but by the same token, they won't wanna back their own horses. And so, sorry to mix my metaphors there, but, but I think there's like, you know, they, 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 it's gonna be challenging. And I think, um, you know, we're very lucky in the sense that we're extremely well-funded and capitalized. We're not looking to raise in the near future because we're a profitable company and so on. But I think for, for Fintech generally, that's a very, you know, very difficult time. And, it, and, and I think there will be, you know, consequences for that. I think there's also for some, you know, new challenger banks and so on, whose business model relied on wholesale funding. Um, so this is kind of a nerdy bank point, but like a lot of banks rely on wholesale funding. So they go to, you know, money markets and they securitize things, for example, and so on. So their funding situation, which they gives them money in order to lend, is very dependent on the general financial market. And, and I think that uh, model is quite challenging right now because there's a lot of flight from risk, interest rates are negative, et cetera. And so it's, it's a very difficult time for those kinds of businesses. Again, we're lucky in that our funding model is actually very old fashioned. We don't do wholesale funding. We, we fund ourselves entirely through retail deposits. And so, you know, we have people who have savings accounts with us. Those savings account customers are pretty loyal. And so we're actually got a good source of funding that we can then use to lend to businesses. Mm. What, what have the level of defaults been like since lockdown started? And how do you think different mid-sized businesses will deal with the current credit crunch? Yeah, so I mean, it, it's, uh, so firstly, like, we can only really speak about defaults at our own bank because I, I don't think the industry data is out yet. Um, however, you know, we've had a very, very good credit record going into this situation. 
Um, you know, we lent about four, over four billion pounds since launch in 2015, and we've only had four defaults and no credit losses. Um, of those, only one has happened since January of those of those defaults. Um, and so, you know, part of that is because we're very, we monitor very intensively in a way that's not conventional for a bank. Um, so we collect financial and operating data from our borrowers, and then we do all kinds of analysis to see um, if we can find any trends or look for things which are of concern. Um, and on a forward-looking basis, we'll then contact borrowers and, and try and figure out a plan to help them or to resolve any situations that we see coming down the road. Whereas most banks only see things in the rearview mirror. And I think that rearview mirror view in particular is a real problem right now because a lot of banks, you know, they rely entirely on historical data. And everything that we knew about the past is no longer relevant. All the correlations that they use to build their models and so on are completely broken. Um, and so they're, they're essentially like flying blind at the moment. Um, and whereas, you know, we've always looked uh, to use a forward-looking view for credit. And um, so that's allowed us to, we built this COVID vulnerability rating framework to analyze all of our credits in our own book, see who we thought was particularly vulnerable, and then try and figure out that allows us to target those borrowers and see which um, what assistance they need. Maybe they need more capital from us. Maybe they can be targeted at a program like the CBOS program, or maybe there's other types of ways we can help them. Um, but, you know, since we developed that framework, we've now been able to roll it out, including um, to customers in the US and use it as a, as a diagnostic tool across their whole portfolio, which has been very powerful. Mm. Um... Let me answer the second half of your question because I just realized you, you asked about how different types of businesses are going to deal with the crunch. Yeah. So, so I think that is one, one thing we've seen and it's very borne out by our data is that it's highly idiosyncratic to the business and it depends enormously. And this is partly why sort of traditional ways of doing credit are somewhat irrelevant in the face of this crisis is that it, it really depends on your business particulars. And so let me give you an example. Say, um, say you're, you're a hotel borrower, right? And you're, you're a hotel that's for business travelers situated at Gatwick Airport, right? Well, you know, something like 20 people came through Gatwick Airport yesterday. So, so you know, you're going to really struggle. Not all those 20 are even going to stay at your hotel. Probably none of them will. So, so a lot of businesses that seemed like they had a very, very solid business model are going to really struggle. And, you know, if you look at the future, who knows if business travel, when business travel will come back and if it will ever even rebound in the way that it was before, right? Um, because, you know, the, the world is very different now and, and a lot of businesses have been surprised by how effective teleconferencing has become. And perhaps business, com business travel is less frequent in the future. Versus if you've got a destination, um, you know, break for, you know, health and wellness or something like that, like a spa hotel or something like that, probably once restrictions ease, probably your rebound will be pretty solid. People probably want to have a break, you know, get away a little bit and, and sort of recuperate. And so I think lots of businesses, um, you know, businesses really need to address their own situation. And, and that's going to be highly idiosyncratic depending on your business model 
where your locations are situated, et cetera. Um, and the kind of the old way of just looking at whole sectors and saying, okay, hospitality is really struggling is, is not really enough anymore. Mm. Are you focusing on businesses in different sectors? Are you, are you pick and choosing your, the sectors that you lend to um, now and even maybe post-COVID? Um, yeah, so that's a good question. So as a, as a platform business, we don't make that decision because that's a policy decision by our lending partners. So when we work with a bank, they decide which sectors they want to lend into and we do credit analysis on whatever. Um, the, as a bank, we do have some sectors, we're, you know, on the face of it, we're sector agnostic and we will consider any kind of business. But in actual practice, we're, we're very um, particular about certain characteristics of businesses, which means that there are certain niches that we tend to do a lot of business in. So we're very, basically we, we have a niche that we understand and that we, do well and that we think is poorly served by existing banks. And so we tend to go after that kind of business. So that would be, you know, businesses with a proven business model, uh, they're cash flow positive, they're profitable, and they need that finance to scale. So an example of that kind of business is, say you have children's nurseries and you have, you know, four children's nurseries and you want to buy another couple of children's nurseries or something like that. That's exactly the kind of business that we really focus on or you know, garden centers or you know, elderly care homes or something like that. Um, and those are the kind of things where you know, we can use our expertise because um, the, the loan is relatively complex. So if you take an elderly care home, for example, uh, this may not be obvious, but when you loan to, a, to a, something like a care home, you've got the building as collateral, right? So that's security against your loan. However, say you foreclose on an on a elderly home. Well, that building can't be used for anything else. Really. It's like purpose designed for what it's for. Um, you, you know, if you wanted to repurpose it as a hotel or turn it into apartments or something like that, it would be a really significant rebuild. And as such, you know, our, our niche expertise is like, okay, value the, the thing, but also take into account the fact that, you know, there's a, there's a limited universe of potential future buyers if you did need to take uh, ownership of the property. And then, and then, you know, what's the cash flow of the business and all that kind of stuff. And that's the sort of thing that the traditional banks would do for a very large loan. So if it was a, you know, 50 million pound loan, they'd absolutely look at it, but they won't do for a 2 million pound loan. It's just too small and it requires too much time and effort to actually figure stuff out. And so we're able to be a real partner to that type of business in a way that, you know, just is absent from the market. It's kind of a blind spot that the banks have. So have you found that um, these, these different packages that, that the US and um, the UK are giving out to different banks, have you found that you know, these, these packages have different regulations and how you distribute these loans and stuff like that? Yeah, and it's been very confusing. It's been very confusing for the, the lenders and it's very confusing for the borrowers. So you know, basically um, in the US, as an example, when they announced the PPE, so the initial, the first program, they, they had this CARES Act, which is the Coronavirus um, Assistance and Economic Recovery Act or something like that is, is what I forget exactly, but it's spelled CARES. So um, the, the, and they announced this Paycheck Protection Program. The desire was to get money immediately to businesses to fund payroll. However, 
in order to do that rapidly, they, they sort of announced this big program, I think with very good intentions, but the, the terms of the program were very unclear and, and lots of the terms hadn't been fully resolved even when the program was supposed to start. So then some big banks, I think it was Bank of America and JP Morgan, received a lot of negative press because they weren't making these loans on the first day. And the reason they weren't making the loans is they'd actually asked the US government, hey, like, you know, the, the way this loan works is I give the loan and then, you know, I get an approval from you and then, and then you fund me. Like, is there a risk? They basically had a technical question about how the loan works, um, which was incredibly important. Um, and they couldn't lend money until this question had been resolved. And yet in the press, it was all, oh, the big banks are not responding to the crisis, et cetera. And so I think, you know, there were a lot of problems and it took a long time to resolve all the issues with PPP. Then the second program, program the Main Street program, they've kind of gone the other way um, where they, they keep getting more and more feedback, changing the terms of the program. And, and for the last four weeks, everyone's been thinking the program's gonna launch any minute now and it's still not started yet. So, so I think that the, that's been, and the Seabells is a little bit in the middle um, where the terms were a little bit clearer. This, so that's the UK program. Um, and, and there's also bounce back lending program in the, in the UK. So UK programs, I think also there was a little bit of lack of clarity. I think one of the problems in the UK was, um, it was they, they initially thought they were just gonna administer these programs through the traditional banks. And then the traditional banks couldn't really respond fast enough. Um, and so then they tried to get alternative lenders, um, you know, uh, people like Starling, Tide, um, you know, us, a few other people like that involved. Um, but we got quite small allocations relative to the big banks. So all the fintechs kind of did their thing, lent the money quite quickly. Um, all the big banks sort of still taking a long time to get their funding up. Um, and so that lack of clarity and, and so on has been difficult. I mean, my working theory is that everyone's trying their best. Um, I don't think anyone's actually incompetent or is actually trying to not make this a success. I think the problem is just banks and also governments are not set up to move fast. It's, it's just not in their DNA. And also they have a lot of operational reasons why they, they are designed to go slowly. So like, you know, the, the treasury and the Bank of England and all the, the government institutions are designed to be cautious, to take their time, to make very good decisions that last a long time, um, not to respond immediately in, in a matter of days to something. So I think everyone's been actually very fast in terms of how they've, they've acted. However, you know, the overall effect from the outside is, it seems like it's going quite slowly. Yeah. So what's the, what's the risk um, of that Oak North has taken on from these programs compared to maybe, you know, the larger traditional banks um, or maybe other challenger banks? And how has it, um, you know, how, how has the risk uh, rewarded you as such? Yeah, so, I mean, we, we take a very old fashioned view of credit. And when we look at a loan, we analyze each loan from its fundamentals. And so we don't see the risk analysis and the credit analysis very differently for a Seabells loan versus a loan on our own balance sheet. We do target um, different customers at loans that we're doing versus Seabells loans. Um, we've done 
Uh, I think it's 60 million pounds of our own balance sheet lending outside of Seabill since January. So we're still lending. We're doing credit committees almost every single day because um, we think there are good businesses that need funding and there's good opportunities in this market. Um, so we, we feel good about the risk that we are taking on. Um, I think it's, it's difficult. Um, I, I, I can't speak for other lenders, but I know that generally speaking, most banks in the UK, their time to make a decision is very long. And um, so if they're sort of rushing to get loans out the door, it's possible they're making poor risk decisions. But uh, I couldn't authoritatively say that. It's just because I don't know. 